Gentlemen, welcome back to Black and Blurred. You didn't hear my brother Darren interrupt me because this is a special episode. Um, we are going to finish our series on gaslighting, but um, I've had some significant changes in my life for the better and that I want to share with you. But then I don't want, just want to share with you the changes. I want to share with you um, the journey that's been a genuine blessing to me and my wife, Talani, in that. And I went back and forth on how to do this. First of all, I went back and forth on whether or not to do it because the journey we've been on uh, was a tough one. Um, It was a tough one, uh, practically speaking. Um, And it was a tough one spiritually. Uh, But it ended up benefiting us greatly spiritually. But then I realized that the telling of the story and the telling of the journey would be tough for people to listen to. Some people. Um, and I, and then I was convicted by that thought because I realized that my thinking shouldn't matter. The things that we go through in our lives and the struggles and the aspects of our weaknesses that are highlighted in this life are meant to glorify the Lord in the way that he provides strength in those times. That's why I shared with you the paintings that we have, um, for our podcast. We have a sister in the Lord who painted these things. And I specifically wanted to highlight that she painted them because she has no use of her hands and feet and she painted them with her mouth and so telling that is meant to glorify the lord and the fact that she has not only painted these things but she's also written a book on gratitude bound to a wheelchair so though it's tough it might be tough for people to listen to uh, with someone in, in the struggles and whatever struggles you may be going through it's meant to glorify the lord but it's also meant for people who are dealing with weaknesses and struggles in their own life to seek the Lord where true strength lies. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you, I'm going to walk you on this journey. I'm going to share the news with you and then walk you on this journey. And I'm going to jump in and out of that storytelling to just walk with you with uh, the truth of what scripture says and, and, and where our hearts should be pointed throughout all of this. And um, so one, the news is uh, we have a brand new son, Nicholas Ronald Smith. Um, Nicholas, uh, the name came because in I, what my, my wife, Talani loves Nicholas. Her middle name is Nia. Uh, and so she wanted her middle name, uh, initial to be the beginning of our second son. Um, our first son, Parker is named after me. My middle name is Parker and I am named after my great grandfather, uh, cause I am the first male after him. Uh, my great grandfather had two daughters and those daughters had all daughters. And then uh, my mother had me <clears throat> and I was the first male since my great grandfather, Parker, uh, who was also a reverend and a preacher. Um, so that that's what. And so my first son's name is Parker. Uh, and that's where that came from. So Nicholas was born last Thursday. Um, and. It's been a, a blessing, and I, I constantly look in awe. I, I, I'm still a little bit shell-shocked, even when I look at Parker, who's 15 months. And this has been a whirlwind because it's back-to-back. 15 months is pretty close. I know some people have clearly beaten that record by uh, a, a, a lot of months, but um, I guess it can't technically be a lot of months, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, but, yeah, I just watch in awe that, like, man, I have two babies in my house. Uh, crying and and pooping and peeing and um, one now walking around and gibbering a bunch of nonsense because the journey uh, has been quite interesting. 
And so let me just start from the beginning. I think that a lot of us can relate when we think about our lives and we think about the plans we have. Um, this may be for a different episode, but a very short segment of my journey to Christ involved a brother in Christ's faithfulness to call me up on the plans that I had for my life. Uh, it, was a, it was a gentleman who, in a bathroom stall, asked me about my plans for the day. And he kept asking me about it and asking me about it. This was, I was not in Christ. Um, I was in Ocean City for senior week when I was in high school, and I had very non-Christ-like plans. And so he, he's in, in, the, uh, in the bathroom standing next to me. He says, hey, you got some big plans for this week? And I told him, I said, yeah, got a couple of things planned. And just to try to get him out of there, some pad answer or whatever. Um, and he said, what else after that? And then, you know, I, I'm like, I, I mean, dude, I don't know. I, you know, we're going to do this. Uh, meet up with some friends of my cousin and something like that. And then, then he said, what after that? And so now I'm getting a little annoyed. And so I start digging into my sarcasm bag uh, where I decided I was going to tell him literally every plan I had for the rest of my life, every, everything that I had ever thought about. And so I did. I told him about the rest of the week. I told him about leaving Ocean City and going back home to Baltimore, graduating from high school. I told him about graduating from college. I told him about, uh, first I told him about my major, then graduating from college. I told him about the jobs that I wanted. I told him about my, I was going to get married. I told him that I was going to have children. I told him that the, about the sports my children are going to play. I told him about the different sporting events I wasn't going to go to because it's too annoying to watch when they're a certain age. <laughs> I told him about all these things. I told him about different vacations I wanted to take, all of this stuff. I mean, we're still standing in the bathroom stall. I told him all of these things, and he's still asking what else after each one. Then I finally ran out of things. Then I told him, well, look, that's the end. I'm going to die after that. And then he said, what else? And it shell-shocked me. Because even though we'd like to not think about it, for those of us who are, may not be in Christ, even some of those of us in Christ, death is still scary. And we, we typically wait for those shell shock moments when we're at the funeral of someone else or when someone is terminally sick or when someone may be threatened with potentially terminal illness. Then the futility of life comes to the forefront of our minds. But the, one of the reasons why it's, it's so, it stops us in our tracks is because it is in complete contradiction to the lie that we live by. And that's one main lie, that we are in total control. And death swallows that lie up. Because if we were in total control, then we would just not die. We'd live forever. And I might step on some toes here, but I think a lot of the health craze and the wellness craze and the, you know, eat this thing because it has this good material in it. Some of that's good, but a lot of it is rooted in the idea of living longer. Simply to prolong the futility. So that stopped me in my tracks and it left me pondering all throughout college. <laughs> and that was my beginning journey to Christ. Um, I'll save that for another episode or something like that to tell you about that. But and so I was interrupted by the hard truth that I am not in control. And not only that, ultimately speaking, the plans that I had for my own life were futile. So now practically, I ended up forgetting about this because then I ended up, I did get married. Um, 
And uh, my beautiful bride, Talani, um, we've now been married for seven years. Um, and when we first got married, I th- we did something that a lot of people can relate to. We planned out what we wanted that marriage to look like in the beginning time. The things we weren't going to do, the things we are going to do, and, and the moves we're going to make. Um, and, and some of those, a couple of, one of those plans was that, hey, we're not going to have kids in the beginning. Even some of the advice that we received when we were married, but we're about to get married and, and, and uh, we were engaged and people were saying, hey, don't have kids too soon. You know, enjoy your marriage. Um, have time to yourself. Don't get married too soon. And those, those, that, that, that advice can come from a good place. But the question I ask now in retrospect is, is that biblical is it ultimately glorifying to the lord to view marriage that way and then even in a very subtle or overt way view kids as an interruption to the enjoyment of marriage in just a small phrase of advice to say, hey, when you get married, don't have children. Enjoy your marriage first. You are simultaneously saying, make sure that you enjoy marriage for the purpose it was set forth for. You. And then kids will probably interrupt that. So don't jump into that. So. Um. We agreed and we acquiesced like, yeah, man, we want to enjoy marriage. This is this is for us. And um, we want to make sure that we have time to ourselves and uh, we can have fun and go places and do things. And and then this is when we're going to have children. We'll make the decision uh, when we want to have children. So uh, we were married for about two years. Um. And then kind of made the decision. It's like, okay, now, now is when we want to have children. And we have been trying for a time, <clears throat> about a year and some change, maybe a year and a half, um, without seeking any, you know, advice on what's going on because we hadn't, you know, we hadn't conceived, but we didn't know what was going on. So after a year and a half of trying, and then also throughout that time when you're when you're trying when you're married. People, as soon as you get married, people always ask, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? Come on now. I'm waiting. I want to see babies. I want to see this. And meanwhile, for that year and a half, we're like, look, we're trying to. <laughs> and it's just not happening. We're trying to. Uh, then we finally went to go find out, hey, is something wrong? And um, and so, yeah, we went to the doctor to find out, hey, is, is something going on? And the doctor said, yeah, something's going on. You're, you're pretty much not going to be able to have children. Um, there's about a 4% chance max for you to have children. Um, and so without going into details, but what the issues that existed in addition to the, the age, like my wife's age, we're the same age. I'm 35. She'll be 35 in September. They're like, yeah, it's bad now and it'll get increasingly worse because of the fact that you're only getting older. And so you pretty much have 4% to 0% chance of, of having children. And so in that same consultation, um, they provided us with the solution. So uh, 
there is a lot to deal with because remember for the year and a half we're still dealing with the fact like man we're not getting pregnant and for a woman it hits much harder i'm not saying it doesn't hit hard for men but it hits harder for a woman um another piece of evidence that what we see the enemy doing regarding lies and gender and biology and purpose and the ways that we were made women were made as nurturers it doesn't mean that you are going to biologically conceive a child no matter what but even the fact that you are biologically made a nurturer will come up in the pain felt when you don't get to nurture that's just a part of the brokenness of this world the fact that you are made as a nurturer shows when you are unable to nurture so uh my wife was going through that um and and going through it much harder than me and uh and so there was a lot of sadness a lot of sorrow a lot of disappointment anger confusion um and then uh came the doctors and their solutions and there are many different types of solutions out there and um when the solutions first came, it was very easy to hear them and say, oh, so you're saying there's a chance. We have a shot. Um, even it wasn't uh, ridiculously um, comforting because they said that, you know, with the help and the different uh, pathways that we can go down to be able to conceive a child, it raises our chances to about 60%. So... Um, I remember sitting and listening to those things. I remember the hope falling on both of us of like, here's, the th here's our chance to fill the hole that we have in our hearts right now. We have this hole in our heart that's lacking, uh, that exists because of the, the, the lacking of children in our family. And uh, here's our chance. And I was immediately met with conviction i sat and spent some time with the lord and i remember as i was sitting with him i felt like i was sitting with someone i hadn't spoken to in years and it, practically that wasn't the case i'd prayed i'd read scripture that's not what i'm talking about but what i'm talking about is in this journey with two weak humans as i was sitting with the author of strength he was unrecognizable. I was thinking, why is that? Why, when we're going through this tough time of hurt and pain, does the, 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 the great comforter seem unrecognizable to me? Why, when we have this uh, journey of loss and disappointment, does the one who offers true hope and promises seem unrecognizable to me? And it's because we had misplaced our hope. And so I'm going to hop out of there real quick. And when I, want, I want to look at some passages, some that we may be very familiar with, um, some maybe not uh, very familiar with. But I, I just want you to walk through this theological journey with me as we wrestled with these things. And as I brought these things to my wife as well, because that was also a struggle with me. To, I, I told her, I ended up going to her and I said, hey, I think that until we figure out 
why our hearts long for this so much. Until we figure that out, we need to hold off on listening to any advice and going to any routes towards uh, secondary means to be, uh, being able to conceive. We need to pause. And it was hard to do. Not just because I'm, I'm talking to my wife about it, but because I also knew that my hurt was not the same as hers. And so it felt like it wasn't my place. But when you do have a growing view of um, husband, you'll see that it is, a, it is my place. Not authoritarian, but responsibility. If I knew myself personally had been neglecting the Lord, then we most certainly have to pause because now my leadership is marred. And my responsibility, first and foremost, when it comes to my wife, is pointing her to the Lord. And I've been failing in that moment. And so we most certainly have to pause. There's a passage in James 4, verse 13. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And it is you. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, is James saying, hey, don't make plans for tomorrow? No. James is not saying that therefore your Google calendars are evil. Lord knows I feel like my Google calendar is evil because it has so many colors on it. I can't even read the daggone thing. But that's not what he's saying. James is saying that you make plans as if your plans are your own in order for you to direct your life that you believe belongs to you and only you. That type of thinking comes from evil. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 24. James says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And the fact that we had these plans, just like I had those plans in that bathroom when I was in high school, we had completely forgot about what it meant to not only dwell in the world that belongs to the Lord, but then as his children, perfectly belonging to him. What did that mean? We've forgotten it. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. When we think about making plans for our lives, do you do it with an arrogance? Or do you make plans saying, Lord, I make these plans with a loose grip so that if it is your will to pry my hand open, it doesn't hurt as much. Do we hold things in our hands with our planning, knowing that we hold them as gifts given to us from the Lord and that at any moment he can ask for it? And do we willingly give it back? No matter what it is. Then here was the next thought that came to me. 
that I uh, shared with Talani. Before we went to go and seek counsel about what was going on, we prayed. Before we went to go find out if something was wrong, we prayed and we asked the Lord, can he give us a child? And our hope was in yes. Our hope was in his answer being yes. And so when we went to the doctor and the answer was no, we felt like that was an interruption to what God truly wanted. And then uh, them providing, the doctors providing some means for us to use uh, secondary uh, strategies for conception was like, oh, you know, God has provided this. And now let me tell you, there are some aspects of science um, that are glorifying to God. He has gifted individuals with specific ways to experience his goodness. A lot of aspects of science humans have used and manipulated for their own power and for their own glory. Um, and we seek it out and we idolize it. It's become an idol, but that's not all science. There are some cults in this world that say, hey, don't take NyQuil when you have a cold because it's not trusting the Lord. That's foolishness. It's foolishness. It doesn't make sense. But there are some aspects of science, a lot of aspects of science that we know are gifts from the Lord. He has gifted individuals with wisdom. He's gifted individuals with expertise. He's gifted this world with plants and uh, natural things and even people coming together, making those natural things and making chemical things uh, for healing and for human flourishing and things like that. So um, there, there are things that glorify the Lord. But what we were seeking is we were seeking happiness through childbearing. And so what ended up giving me pause was thinking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because as I spent time with this Lord that I had neglected during this journey, I was reminded that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I was reminded that he gave a promise to Abraham he gave a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 that, hey, he was going to bless the world through him. And the way that he was going to bless the world through him is that Abraham was going to have a son. But then time went on and Abraham wouldn't have no kids. So he got a second opinion. And he said, here, well, I know that the Lord wants to do something good. So let me take it upon myself with my own hands and let me further that plan down the line. And so he grabs his servant, Hagar, and conceives with her, all the while not trusting the promise given to the Lord. And so now what I think a mistake that we make when we read that passage is we, uh, to put, we take, remove Abraham and we put ourselves in that exact narrative. When that's a story, we learn the character of God through that story, but that story is not meant for you to cut around Abraham's figure and then put your face in it. It's meant to tell you something. One, we see that this history, this story, the history of this world is not ours, it's God's. 
It's God's story. It's God's narrative of his reconciliation with his people. That's one. Number two, we also see that the Lord does not forsake his promises. Never. Number three, or maybe not number three of what we see in that. So with those two things that we see in that, where do we go? The next thing to go is, what is the promise that we need to be remembering? Is it me and Talani's job in the moment to say, hey, the Lord promised Abraham a son. So that means that he's promised us children. No. It doesn't mean that. It means that the promises he has given us will remain. What are those, some of those promises? That he'll never forsake us nor leave us. That we, through Jesus Christ, have been adopted as sons and daughters into his family where we've received every spiritual blessings in the heavens, Paul says in Ephesians. It means that we have a stamp of approval by him, the seal of promise called the Holy Spirit that guarantees the inheritance we have in the kingdom of heaven. Those promises are what get us through the brokenness of today. He hasn't promised you a job. He hasn't promised you children. He hasn't promised you a spouse who loves you well. He hasn't promised you a spouse. But he has promised that he is the perfect groom. He has promised that once you are his child, nothing will change it. He has promised that all work done in order for you to be deemed righteous is done perfectly through Jesus Christ. It's that type of job in children in spousal thinking that we should have as children. So. When the doctors came and they gave us all these secondary options and I said, pause. I talked to my wife and I told her, I said, hey, look, before all of this, we prayed to the Lord and we asked him for a child. And we went to the doctor and they told us we can't have children. I think it would do us well to realize that the Lord answered our prayer. We just have a problem with his answer. And now we need to repent. And it's not merely because, uh, you know, we did a bad thing as Christians. We had a problem with his answer. Obviously, yes, that's worth pondering and repenting over. But the biggest issue is that he gave us an answer and we forgot his promise of the fact that he's good. And every single answer that comes from him is good. It's a good one. So if I ask him for a child and he says no, it's a good answer. Do I believe that? Do we believe that? There are so many things I've prayed for that because of his goodness, his mercy and his grace, he has told me no 
So we pondered with the Lord and we sat with him and then we remembered his promises. Uh, I'm reminded of, uh, I believe, a second Corinthians. Let me pull it up real quick. Yeah, second Corinthians. Starting with, starting with verse three. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. He is the God of all comfort. Are we finding any joy in that? When we are sitting here in this journey where we can't have children, do we care enough to sit at the feet of the God of all comfort? Or are we scrambling around trying to fix the issue we think exists in our lives? We're running to the doctor, trying to get help, trying to figure out how we can fix this thing. Give me the child because the child is the reason I have this hole in my heart. It's not because I don't sit at the feet of the God of all comfort. And so when we were convicted in that, that's what we did. And my God, is he a God of all comfort? Like I said in the beginning, my pain was not like Talani's pain. It'll never be like that. I had pain, but a part of my pain is different from her pain as well, because I had pain, but for the fact that she was in pain. And as a husband who likes to fix things, the Lord humbled me by giving me something I could never fix with my hands a broken wife who can't conceive that's one of the most humbling uncomfortable beautiful places that a husband could ever be in because now you have to sit in silence and watch the lord care for your wife the way your marriage should be in the first place I got to learn what it meant to just sit in awkwardness and hurt with her, cry with her. I'm not a crier, but the more the Lord breaks my heart, I cry over different things now. And I'm grateful for that. I think pastors need to be able to have broken hearts. Genuinely, not learn how to cry. That's Hollywood. I'm talking about broken hearts. And one of the ways the Lord will do that for a man is through a wife. And so I got to watch that. We got to sit in that pain. We got to actually be upset and disappointed. We got to actually voice frustrations and sorrows. But now we're doing it at the foot of the father. And so it's met with peace. As Paul says in Philippians, the anxiety and the worry is gone. And now there's peace. As we're reminded that, hey, if your answer is no, praise your name that you have now created space in this house for us to serve you differently. And that is hard. That's hard for some people to hear. We had a lot of space in this house. And so we're like, Lord, if your answer is no, then now we'll seek you and say, hey, is, 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 we're going to move towards adoption. We're going to move towards foster care, but not my will, your will. So if there's something that stops us from doing that, Lord, tell us. And our answer is command us. Thank you for your goodness. 
Thank you for your kindness in hearing us and giving us an answer. But here's a beautiful thing that comes when you find joy in the goodness of the Lord, no matter what his answer is. Now you have freedom to ask for anything. Seems kind of paradoxical. It seems like this whole time I've been building up to tell you that we need to <laughs> be mindful of what we ask of the Lord. But don't 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 forget what Jesus says in Matthew seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus also modeled it in the most beautiful way. The creator of the world, the author and perfecter of our faith, knelt in the garden and asked God to remove from him the only cup that he was meant to drink ever. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that the king of kings knew what he needed to go through in order for humanity to be reconciled with his creator? And he asked God, hey, could I not do this? But he immediately follows it up with not my will, but your will. That's the picture of someone who knows truly the goodness of God and trusts him with that goodness, no matter the answer. So now, because of this comfort and this peace, we had freedom to ask for different things. I'm reminded in Luke, uh, Luke 18. Sorry, my glasses are dirty. I'm messing up my... Uh, Vision here. There's a story that Jesus tells in Luke 18 of the uh, persistent widow. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused. But afterward, he said to him, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? And that last part of that parable always hit me. That when Jesus returns, will he find his people his brothers and sisters his co-heirs walking through suffering with a joy and hope in the lord in their hearts or will he find people scrambling around for the best answers earth has to offer so we had this freedom and i remember i was driving i uh, was going off to do some work and I was in traffic and I was driving and, and, and there was a song that came on on my, uh, I almost said iPod, yo old, uh, uh, my phone on Spotify, there was a song that came on and um, it, it came from Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and, and salvation, whom shall I fear, whom shall I be afraid? 
it continues on. It says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And then he says this. One thing I have asked of the Lord. That will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David is saying, look, I'm, 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 I'm giving prayers to the Lord because I have people trying to kill me. I'm camped out and I have my adversaries all around me and I am going to ask him to spare me of those things. I'm going to ask him to protect me from those things. But I'm, as I ask him those prayers, I want to be reminded of the one most significant answer to prayer that any human could ever ask should they desire it that they would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Jesus, because of Jesus' work, that answer is yes. That is the yes that gets us through any no that we may experience here on this earth. That's the yes that brings us through any form of pain and trial and suffering on this side of glory. So that we won't feel it in our hearts to try to get our hands on other means so that we can try to manipulate and force our way to a yes that we would like to hear. That's the only yes that should sustain a hallelujah in our souls. That we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dwell in his temple. You say So that song came on, and because of this newfound freedom that we had, I just sat weeping in my car. I don't recommend this because you still got to drive, but in D.C., it doesn't really matter because there's nobody driving. It's all trash. You're just sitting in traffic. <laughs> but I just sat there, and this is what I asked of the Lord. I said, Lord, not only... Do I want to come to you and ask you for a child? But because I know you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if it is your will that we have a child, I don't need anyone else. I'll just ask you. And I'm confident in your goodness. So if your answer is no, I'll worship you for it. But since I also know that you're good, you're good let me be very specific with you. I want a son. <clears throat> I have a lot of homies. Who didn't get what I got. 
a father to instruct them, discipline them, love them, train them, disciple them, raise them in knowledge of the Lord, raise them in what it meant to be a biblical man. To raise them as men and now share brotherhood in Christ. Fellowship. And I am so grateful. Obviously for both of my parents and this specifically, I'm so grateful to my father. For the way that he raised me. And I want nothing more than to pour myself out for the same reason. So, Lord, would you give me a son who I can raise in the knowledge of the Lord? Who's going to make idiotic decisions that I get to discipline him for, but then love and show him grace in, all the while pointing him to you? Teach him weird trivia facts about the world and history, but ultimately about Scripture, that he would recognize the beauty of who you are, Lord, that he'd be a a magnet for the friends in his lives. In Psalm 27, the passage I read earlier, David ends in a very specific way. This is what he says. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So I sat in my car and I remember thinking, Lord, as I ask for these specific things, I'll rejoice in your name if your answer is no. But should it be yes, I won't find out through any doings of my own hands. I'll wait for you. And so when the Lord's comfort brought me to that place, I only had one other prayer. And my prayer was that my wife's heart would be where mine is. Not so that she's not in pain anymore. I just want her heart to be so overjoyed with the goodness of the Lord. That she would never have any thought about blaming herself. Feeling like less of a woman. Any of the things, any of the lies that come to you. When things like this take place. But that she would truly gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Even with the answer of no childbearing and she got to that place I remember the conversation of us sitting and her weeping and discussing that how she finally felt peace and joy and comfort from the Lord and I'm a night owl and I was sitting in this same room around 2 a.m. maybe 2.30 And I was just worshiping the Lord 
for the comfort and the peace that he's granted to both of us. I was worshiping him for his grace and his patience and the fact that we didn't trust him. We had completely forgotten about his goodness. And I was just sitting in here crying and praying and thanking him for how good he is. Talani interrupted me with a pregnancy test that said she's pregnant. And so as I end, I want people to please hear me. And this goes into the reason why I struggled with sharing this to people. Because there are so many people who have a different result from the same type of suffering. But I think that the result is only different from a fleshly sense. Maybe Maybe you still aren't able to have children. But I want you to hear what the main point is. The goal is still the same. That you would dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon the beauty of his majesty is our prayer. That's our prayer. That you would remember his goodness. You would remember his promises. But you have to remember his promises. Not the promises that the world gives. That your life should look a certain way. And that there won't be any hurt. There won't be any suffering. Maybe you're a parent that did have children. And now your children are sick. Or maybe you've lost a child. All of this suffering is met with his perfect comfort and goodness and when you gaze upon him and sit at his feet his comfort drowns you in peace that's what the prayer is and when you begin to trust that it'll be an ongoing struggle for us and it is still for us it'll be an ongoing struggle for us as humans on this side of glory but when you learn to trust him then you know what it truly means to ask, seek, knock with freedom because now you're not afraid of an answer you don't want to hear, but you know for a fact that every single answer he gives is a good one. So I pray that that would be our response I pray that you are encouraged to have the same freedom in prayer that we had and that I had. Because we asked for a son and he said, I'll give you two. Because he's good. And if you ask, do we think he's good because he gave us two sons? then our answer would be, he's good without them. Glorify the Lord. Glorify the Lord with your lives. You will have a foretaste of the perfect eternal joy we'll have with him in eternity 
in this life. And the beauty of who he is is that you can even have that foretaste in the middle of suffering. I'll see you guys next time.